Welcome to Roadside Horror Show. We are in Vermont this week. Woo woo, the Green Mountain State. It is the Green Mountain State. All the maple syrup you can handle. All the maple syrup you can handle, that's true. Also, it's state tree is the sugar maple. That totally makes sense. Yes, absolutely does. It's state mammal is the Morgan horse. I don't I don't know what, know that, what that is. That is. <laughs> yeah, no clue. Um state reptile, the painted turtle. State uh, state flower is the red clover. Okay. State amphibian is the northern leopard frog. Well, okay. I'm glad they got that sorted. Right? I know that was really killing me for a while. Okay, I don't understand what all this is. Oh, a Morgan horse is a breed of horse. Well, yeah, I figured that. Oh, I was like, is this some kind of weird, like, bird? All right, so I do have some fun facts about Vermont. Okay. Uh, from mentalfloss.com. Love myself some mental floss. Of course. Vermont's name comes from the French phrase Vertmont. Green Mountain? Which means Green Mountain. I know a little bit of French here and there. Uh, Vermont became the 14th state in 1791. It was the first admitted after the 13 colonies. Okay. Uh, before that, it was its very own country that I definitely didn't know. That's killer. Yeah. I thought it was just Texas that was its own like country. You no, know, Texas, yeah. Just Texas and Vermont from, makes yeah. total sense. So founded in 1777, the Vermont Republic operated a post office, issued its own currency called Vermont Coppers, and abolished slavery. That's so Vermont. That is very Vermont. I'm glad Vermont is like stayed true to itself. This part we all know. Vermont is the large produ- largest producer of maple syrup in the U.S., producing over 500,000 gallons a year. Dang. That's a lot of maple syrup. That is a lot of maple syrup. And apparently it takes about 40 years for a sugar maple to grow large enough, uh, at least 10 inches in diameter, to tap. I, I learned something crazy about maple syrup over the holidays. Oh, really? Do tell. Uh, something, it was a little factoid that one of our little cousins told us, and it was like something like to get, it takes something like 50 gallons of maple syrup sap to get you know i don't know a gallon of syrup oh my god something ridiculous like that but it takes a ton a ton maybe it's 500 i don't don't remember that's like what my parents told me about juicers when i was a kid (laughs) i was like can i make some juice and they'd be like no you're going to use this entire bag of grapes just to make one little cup of juice like (laughs) i mean that's fair that's fair 14 apples to get any apple juice. I love maple syrup so much. And it's one of those those foods where I'm like, every time I have pancakes or like crepes or something and I have like maple syrup on them, yeah. I'm just like, I'm like, man, those people, my ancestors who like never left Ireland or Germany or whatever, don't know what they're missing. Right. Ugh, maple syrup. And I know a lot of people that actually don't like maple syrup. It's, well, I mean, I, I understand that because it's like ubiquitous for Northeastern Americans. I'm actually going to um, give my unpopular opinion here and say that I like just the regular old maple syrup uh, better than the natural ones because the natural maple syrups, they taste kind of flowery. You taste the nature. Yes, you can taste the nature. <laughs> I am anti-nature in my food. <laughs> now, I just don't like those syrups that are like maple flavored syrups. Yeah. That's not maple syrup. That's like corn syrup. That's, that's like It's like putting caro true. on stuff. Yeah. It's grody. Vermont's the only place I've ever seen all the different grades of maple syrup. Oh, really? Yeah. Like, I guess in most grocery stores, you can get what, like, grade A, grade B, and it's like the very, um like, rich, dark maple syrup we all yeah. think of. Well, there's a bunch of different types, and in Vermont, you can get, like, C grade, and it's, like, almost like a 
clear honey colored. No. Yeah, it's really cool. And they have different purposes. Like some are better for certain culinary things. Oh, wow. Here we go. This is another fact that I just found out. Um, so with a population of just 7,787 in 2012, Montpellier is the smallest state capital in the U.S. In comparison, Juneau, the capital of Alaska, and the sixth smallest state capital by population has 32,167 people. Dang. That's nuts. Uh, U.S. Presidents Chester A. Arthur and Calvin Coolidge were both born in Vermont. The latter is the only president born on the 4th of July. I did not know either of those facts. That's pretty cool. I'm just kind of jumping around with these facts. Uh, One thing that's not legal in Vermont is billboard advertising. What? Uh, Vermont is one of the four states to ban uh, commercial billboards, the others being Maine, Hawaii, and Alaska. A.K.A. we don't need any billboards to fuck up our beautiful landscape. That's true. And also, I think that billboards are distracting when people are driving. For sure. For sure. Because I know on the highway, it's like, oh, what's this over here? Oh, God, the cars are stopping. (laughs) Why did I take my eyes off the road? Um, Well, that's very interesting. Have you been to Vermont? I have not been to Vermont. I've been to Vermont um, kind of by accident. What? How does that happen? eh, I took a wrong turn in Massachusetts (laughs) somewhere. Pretty much, yeah. So we were staying at, we were visiting some relatives in like Fitchburg, Massachusetts, which is right along the border with like New Hampshire. Oh, okay. Yeah. And we were looking for a hotel to stay in because we were, it was kind of late and we knew we had to stay overnight. And the normal place that we stay at when we're visiting folks there was booked. So we, you know, get on the good old internet and start looking for, you know, hotels to stay in. And we find this hotel that it looks like super cute. It's like an off-season like ski chalet bed and breakfast. Yeah. And we're like, oh, let's do it. Totally. And it was cheap. So we're like, we book it. And then we punch, you know, say goodbye to our relatives, punch in the coordinates of the GPS. And it's like three and a half hours. For a second, I thought you said punch our relatives. Punch our relatives. <laughs> <laughs> we punch our relatives and just get the fuck out of there. My grandma. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, so we... we Punching the G- GPS, and we're like, "What? Three and a half hours? That can't be right." I'm sure it's just because the signal's weird here. Oh no, it was because it was in Stowe, Vermont. So we drive to we spend like the next like three and a half hours like driving to Stowe. It might not have been three hours. Oh my it it might have been like something like two hours, but it was it was like a drive. It yeah. wasn't like conveniently located to where we were right across folks. the border. No, yeah. it was yeah. But I mean, it turned out for the best because we made the day of it the next day. Like we went to we checked out Stowe. And went to like an apple cidery place, went to like a maple farm thingy. Oh, that's cool. Checked out a Ben and Jerry's like manufacturing facility. Oh, because they're there, aren't they? Yes, they are based out of Vermont as well. Don't they have a theme park? I don't know if they have a theme park. They have something. And I know they have like a graveyard where all their flavors that aren't that's with the, us anymore. That's the factory are... experience in Flo- and Stowe. That's how okay. they have there. Yeah, it's like, a, it's like a touring factory. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was a good time. It was the first and only time I was in Vermont, which is kind of funny because I definitely had... Um, some pretty good friends in college who uh, were from Vermont. Oh, that's cool. I'm like, I don't know why I never visited. Yeah, I don't think I know anyone from Vermont. Mm. Well, but I would like to. So listeners, if you're from Vermont. And you want Eden to come crash on your couch. Exactly, yeah. Send an email to roadsidehorrorshow at gmail.com. Slide into my DMs. <laughs> anyway, so in Vermont, the lovely Green Mountain State, do you have a true crime story for me? I do, in fact. My true crime story this week takes place in the town of Fairhaven, Vermont, which is in Rutland County. Again, not Rutland County, England. Um, The county is on the New York border and is pretty small with a population of less than 3,000 people. 
according to a 2010 census, and is around 18 square miles. So teeny tiny. Yeah, super small. Yeah. However, in the late 90s, this town was home to a 17-year-old kid with a CB radio and an unscrupulous business agenda, which led to his untimely death by a very unsatisfied customer. This is the story of Chris Marquis. Hmm. Isn't that where I, when you started that sentence with the CB radio and I love it, I'm like, of oh, good times. Oh, oh no. Nope. So, like I said, this was a small town and probably didn't offer a wide variety of fun things to do for the for a teenager. Uh, that's a that's a true fact. Yes. So my friends who did grow up in Vermont in the 90s were like, we would drive around. Yeah. And smoke weed sometimes. Well, back before I was, you know bar going age although i was going to <laughs> bars before i was in bar going age but let's forget that i said that um i me and my friends mostly what we would do was go to diners mm-hmm. and eat the a pre-bars. little something and then you know drink coffee all night long and then we just drive around that's exactly what we would do just drive yeah i guess um that like that was part of the bonding in college right you're like what did you used to do back home and i'd be like i go to diners because diners were sort of like you're training to go to bars. Yeah, exactly. Or it's like you meet up with friends that you didn't know they'd be there, like a bar. It was like a you'd have diners or soda shops, and then like my friends from like the way way out there, New England states, like like you know Vermont or New Hampshire, would be like, we would have to drive to Albany <laughs> to go to a diner. I'm like, oh my goodness, that's horrible. Yeah. Wow. Um. Yeah. You know, so yeah, definitely not a lot of fun things to do. When you're a teenager, uh, and that's probably why 17-year-old Chris Marquis got involved in the things that he did get involved in. Uh, He may have looked like your average teenager, but he was anything but. Because you see, Chris pretended to be a 27-year-old married man with kids and ran a shop online selling electronic parts and CB radios. And his business wasn't really on the up and up. He also claimed online that there was a physical store location, but there was not. That's kind of strange. Yeah, he just did all of this from home. Did, did do you did you like find out why in your research? Why he decided to do this? Yeah. No. Hmm. No, he just enjoyed being a scammer. Weird. He would uh, get the money or a trade from someone online and then never send them what they had ordered or send them something broken or cheaper instead. Oh. And he did this to a lot of people. I'll get into that a little more later on. He also would apparently be obnoxious over CB radio to others uh, whom he talked to. When I went into this story, I really expected that his mother wouldn't know anything about his dealings, but it seemed like she did in the episode that I watched of uh, Forensic Files and um, just through the articles I read as well. One article even said that the mother and son actually shoplifted together. Oh, weird. Which, that's kind of really strange, so I don't know. I mean, know. not exactly a quality time activity. No, not something that you should do with your parents or at all. Like maybe Scrabble? Yeah. Maybe go into Pizza Hut? I don't exactly. know. Exactly. Play some Pequino, something like that. Something. Um, yeah, not shoplifting. So the Forensic Files episode uh, described this kid as a loner, but another source said that he wasn't and actually had like a serious girlfriend and things like that. So, I don't know. I don't know who to believe. Now, I guess I'll explain CB radios to the listeners just in case people don't know what they are because they're completely obsolete now. I, um, yeah, I don't know. So, I'm excited you're going to tell me about them. All I know is, like, you know, the fun names. Like, Breaker Breaker, this is Big Daddy. Yep. So, I mean, you kind of know what they are then. Uh, CB or Citizens Band radios were this little thing kind of like a walkie-talkie 
that were used mostly by truckers to communicate with each other, uh, usually across just a few mile radius. Okay. Uh, I mean, all depending on the antenna that you had, because sometimes you could pick up like people that were like, you know, 20 miles away. But Did that was really rare. It's normally like like one to five miles. Is it like similar to like what, ham radio? I think yeah. Called? Mm-hmm. Is it? It's like that. Yeah. Okay. They might actually be the same thing, but I'm not sure. They would normally use them to chat if they were bored or just to like warn other truckers about like accidents, detours or cops lying in wait. Uh, my dad actually had a pickup truck that came with a CB radio when I was younger and it was kind of fun. That's so cool. Yeah. Um, we didn't really get to talk to that many people, but it was still just interesting to have one, you know, and mm-hmm. he'd of course be like, breaker, breaker, you know, and just do the <laughs> stupid thing and make up stupid names for us. And like we talked to people so and a lot of the, fun. like the few people that we did talk to, I remember being quite dirty. So my dad was like, okay, we're going to turn this off now. <laughs> Cause they're like truckers. My kids are in the car. Please stop. Yeah. <laughs> Our story starts on March 19th, 1998, when Chris's mother, Sheila Rockwell, receives a package in the mail from someone named Samantha Brown. Well, Sheila has no clue who the fuck Samantha Brown was, but said, sure, I'll take this mystery box inside of me anyway. Sheila takes the package into Chris, who was just in his room, and she asks, hey, I got this box here in the mail from a Samantha Brown. Any clue who that is? Chris is like, no idea who that is. Give me the box. So he just decides to tear right into this box. He opens the box to find another box inside. The smaller box that he gets inside the other box, the box inception that's going on here. (laughs) It is tied with like a rope or string or twine or something like that. And um, as soon as he cuts it, there's this explosion that just rips through the house. Oh, shit. Yeah. His mom is somehow still uh, conscious. And in the Forensic Files episode that I watched, she said, quote, I did realize that I was hit because my fingers were gone, end quote. Oh, my God. She says it so matter-of-factly that it made me laugh when I watched it. And then a second later, I felt horrible for laughing because, Jesus, what the... Wow. I mean, that's all you can do, though. That's so... It's It's, so startling and off-putting that you're like... Your initial reaction is always that, like... I hate that. I often laugh when things are like shocking and repulsive to me at the same time. It's just, it's really weird because it was just really matter of factly. It's just like, well, my fingers were gone. Like, you know, oh, it was bad. But uh, she tried to crawl over to her son to see if he was okay because she heard him moaning. Uh, But then she realized that her knee had been blown off. (gasps) Yeah. So uh, the police station, I think I mentioned, was really close to the house. So the chief, whose name is uh, Raymond Vigor, Viger, he actually heard the explosion and immediately went over to check out the house. And obviously he could see, you know, that there was some right. sort of explosion because there was debris everywhere. Thank God that he was able to get there because I don't know how they were going to notify anyone. I mean, it was an explosion, though, so I'm sure someone would have heard. But yeah, true. You never know. They rushed the two to the hospital, but Chris had shrapnel in his leg which ended up severing his femoral artery, which, if you don't know, is the artery uh, in your thigh area that is responsible for moving, like, a lot of blood throughout your body. Uh, So he ended up bleeding to death before anyone could save him, before anything could be done for him. Mm. So he really didn't have a chance after that. Chris's mom was in the hospital for a while after this, but did make a, you know, mostly full recovery, uh, other than the, the missing knee and fingers, of course. But she's alive and she looks good, so that's a plus. Because she was on the episode, so you can see her. I don't know 
that I'd want to stay alive after my kid died, though. Like, I think I'd be, like, wishing for death in that situation because I wouldn't be able to go on. Not that I have a kid. I don't want a kid. But I just, I don't think that I'd be able to bury a child. Yeah, grief's a funny thing, though. And sometimes, like, that desire to find out what happened to your child might give you that strength to continue on. Well, I mean, like, I didn't even want another pet for a while because it's too tough when they pass away. So I'm surprised that I have Salem right now, honestly, because it's just way too depressing when they die. Yeah, but, you know. Yeah. Every every cloud has a silver lining. Every something about sunshine. And Did you just wink at me all week? I don't know. Yeah, kind <laughs> of. <laughs> trying, man. This is cold meds. Uh, all right. Um, well, the police ended up collecting the remains of the explosive device from the house and, you know, did their thing and were able to figure out that the device used was a pipe bomb, which, as we all know, are super easy to make and just about anyone could do it because everything you need is available at just about any store. Uh, I wasn't looking up how to do it, of course, because I really don't want to be on a government watch list. Honestly, with our search histories for this show, we're probably already being watched or (laughs) wiretapped. Uh, That would be a great name for a conspiracy theory podcast. No one steal that. Watched and wiretapped is what we're going to name our conspiracy theory podcast in the future. TM, TM, TM. I'd be super into that after the road trip's over. (laughs) I know, right? Another really funny thing about the Forensic Files episode is that it showed one of Chris's school pictures. And it had the laser background. Do you remember the laser background? Oh, yeah. The super awesome 90s laser adventure. Yes. Yeah. I loved the laser background so much. And if they had offered backgrounds in my high school pictures, I would have still chosen the laser background. <laughs> the police started to look into, you know, who sent this package then, obviously. And were looking for this Samantha Brown person from a place called Bucyrus, Ohio. Bucyrus. Mm-hmm. Hmm. They very quickly learned that not only was there no such person living in Bucyrus, Ohio, but there, in fact, was no such town as Bucyrus, Ohio. Someone made it up. Weird. Yeah. So since that was a bust, they decided to look at the other interesting things on this package. It was addressed to the CB Radio Shack care of Chris Marquis. They talked to his mom and did a little digging of their own and found out about Chris's shady, shady business. It turned out to be quite the suspect list once they unraveled that part of the mystery. I bet if he has customers who he's like basically like stiffing when oh, it comes yeah. to parts. UPS had had several complaints about him as a seller and were actively investigating him at the time of his death. And like I said, he would be rude to people over CB radio as well. So that also created some friction with people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I actually found a thread online with customers uh, discussing him and it wasn't pretty. There were a lot of people talking about how he ripped them off and putting his address and personal information on there, and it seemed to be encouraging people to harass him. Yeah. There were also a number of death threats and such. One that I found was from someone called NC Tomcat, who wrote, quote, I can find someone to pay the two-way airfare. I will go there and collect everyone's money back and give him some severe dental problems to deal with. Are you listening, Chris? When you see a six foot five inch dark haired man at your door, you better duck. End quote. Dang. Yeah. So people were really mad. There was another person who wrote after the fact, quote, I suspect a lot of the more eloquent contributors to this news group will be getting calls from the FBI and ATF real soon. End quote. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. 
This one I actually didn't find on a thread, but I found it through another source, and it said, quote, Hi, Chris, remember me, Viacom? Well, I'm coming back to get you, end quote. Viacom? Like the... Like Viacom. Yeah, I don't know if it's actual Viacom or that was someone's username or he bought something that was Viacom. (laughs) I don't know. Very strange. handle, Warner Brothers. Exactly. To narrow down their search a bit, the police were able to at least figure out that the package came from UPS and was sent from Mansfield, Ohio, which that one is a real place. Of course, it was a little tough to find evidence in their search of the house because with an explosion, a lot of evidence will obviously be destroyed. Right. So they really had their work cut out for them. There was one thing about the pipe bomb that really seemed to stick out for them, though, and that was the fact that it was made up of a series of hex nuts, which made the bomb even deadlier. Mm. All the sharp edges, right? Yep. The upside to this is that they were able to look into these hex nuts further and help them figure out who may have constructed this bomb. They also found a battery, some styrofoam, and a few other basic things, like I mentioned earlier, that were available pretty much everywhere. Luckily, they did have an unnamed witness who said there was a 35-year-old truck driver in Indiana named Chris Dean who had recently bought a CB radio online and was a bit furious about his purchase. Chris Dean told the guy uh, that he bought the radio from a guy in Vermont and planned to come to Vermont and beat up Chris Markey. Okay. The police just kind of ran with it, and they were able to track Chris down and question him where he admitted to buying a CB radio from Chris Marquis for $400 and ended up receiving a cheaper model instead. Christine's wife actually called Chris Marquis at one point to warn him about her husband, according to the police. Wow. Yeah. So she was just kind of like, hey, my husband's talking all crazy. He's crazy. He's going to murder you. Exactly. You better be on lookout for... For this guy. My boo. My boo. Even when I'm with my boo, all I think about is bombs, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) As I almost make you spit out all your water that you just drank. Thanks. (laughs) Uh, So Sheila, Chris's mom, Chris Marquis' mom, because they're both named Chris, said that she did receive a lot of calls at the house like that and that Chris would tell her to tell the people on the phone that he wasn't there like we all did before we had cell phones and we didn't feel like talking to a friend or something. Before it was oh so easy to screen calls. Exactly, yeah. So he was just kind of like, I'm not here, Mom. Just, I'm not here. Talon not here. Yeah. So Christine denied sending the bomb when asked and police followed up with people that knew him and by all accounts chris seemed like a nice normal guy he had no prior criminal record his friends basically described described him as a stand-up honest kind man but i mean they've said that about several serial killers too how many times have you heard like you know after this guy kills like 20 people that his neighbors like he seems so normal yeah yeah so you know Uh, At some point, they spoke with his work, and his work confirmed that Chris was in Mansfield, Ohio, the day the package was sent to be shipped out. They were also able to talk to a friend of his that told them Chris was telling him that he was going to send, quote, that guy a package in the mail, and boy, is he going to be surprised. Oh, my God. Yeah. So he's like kind of, um, he's kind of kimming it up here. Yeah. And telling people about it. (laughs) Blabber, blabber mouth. Yeah, right. So police take the next step, obviously, and get a warrant to search Christine's house. And they ended up finding the same type of hex nuts in his basement, which they tested against the ones found in the bomb. And they had identical chemical makeup because what they do is they run um, them through the machine to see basically like the metals that are used in it. 
and the different amounts of each one. Okay, that so makes that's sense. That's kind of how they match it. Other than that, the police also found the same wiring in his house that was used for the detonator, as well as the same pipe and the same styrofoam. So basically a bunch of physical evidence that were matches to the stuff that was used to make the bomb. Exactly. They were trying to look for some sort of smokeless powder, like the one that was also used in the bomb. And at first they didn't find anything. But in the kitchen, they ended up finding this plastic funnel that had a powdery residue on it. Oh, what was the powder? Well, they analyzed the powder and it compared it again to the, the smokeless gunpowder that was used in the bomb. And it was a match. So it was a smokeless gunpowder. Oh. Sadly, all these products were so easily found at any store across the country that a good lawyer would be able to just get all of this thrown right out. So they needed more information to make everything stick. Gotcha. They decided to go back to the house and look through the debris once more. That's when they end up finding this 9-volt battery with a lot number on it. And this could very well be the smoking gun they need fair they go back to the house and find the same batteries in a drawer and the package is opened and there is one missing out of it so bingo so in christine's house right yes in christine's house and the lot number matched that's a that's gotta be a nice feeling as a like law enforcement officer oh yeah absolutely now this is all pretty damning but it's still all circumstantial as well so it's not the strongest case in the world Mm-hmm. Even it's another one of those where you're just like, I know he did it. I know he did it. But how do I prove that? So just because he had the ingredients, you know, in the house to make this bomb doesn't have to mean that he made the bomb. Just because right now I have all the ingredients downstairs to make the blueberry pie that I've been craving does not mean my lazy ass is ever going to make that blueberry pie. <laughs> so, you know, uh, well, fair. <laughs> luckily for the police. This was the computer age. It was the late 90s. Computers and the internet were really starting to come into the mainstream, and everyone had them in their house, including Christopher Dean. Good old desktop computers. Yep. Absolutely running like (laughs) Windows 95, 98. Got some gateways going on. Yep. I liked gateways. They came in a cow box. I know, the moo cow box. Classic. So they found a file on his computer, which he thought he had deleted, but as we all know, nothing is ever really gone. Even if you delete something off your hard drive, that doesn't really go away. It sticks around until it's eventually written over with other data. Mm-hmm. So that shit that you deleted, all that porn you deleted, listeners, I know. I've been watching. We all know it's still there. Yeah, it's still there, guys. You should save new porn over it, I mean. <laughs> so um, what this deleted piece of information might be, you ask? I don't know. Uh, Could be a pipe bomb recipe. Well... I'll tell you what it is. Oh. Christopher Dumbhead, I mean Christopher Dean, downloaded info on how to make a pipe bomb. (laughs) Oh, man. It's like I'm psychic. You really are. Just paying attention. (laughs) Yeah. So (laughs) that's not what you should do if you want to leave no trace of your crime. So not only this, but there was also a copy of the label that he stuck on the box on his computer still. Hmm. That's even more dumb. Not that I'm by any means trying to give anyone ideas, but you don't do that kind of shit in your own home. And since he used something so fictitious, it would be extremely unlikely for someone else to have used the same fake name and fake state or fake city in the state. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? 
Okay, so I'm done basically giving tips because I do not want to get sued. We do not <laughs> advocate or support any kind of violence or illegal yeah. behavior. Exactly. So, you know, disclaimer right there. Anyway, he was obviously arrested after this. And in February of 2000, he did end up pleading guilty. The sentence he received was life in prison without parole. Uh, he did try to appeal in 2006, saying that due to a Supreme Court ruling which stated that federal sentencing guidelines were not mandatory, he felt his sentencing was unconstitutional then. It really didn't, you know, do anything for him. The judge kind of was just like, nope, sorry, yeah. you killed yeah. someone. Uh, in closing, I just want to say, yes, Chris Marquis ripped him off for $400, which is awful and shouldn't have happened. It was a dick move and definitely wrong. But Christine reacted like a crazy person and decided to blow him up over this. Uh, what if Chris Marquis wasn't even home? What if it was just his mom and she opened it? I feel like that's often like the stories I hear about mail bombs or pipe bombs. Yeah. Like what if it blew up during shipping? Mm-hmm. It's not smart. Um, I worked retail and customer service and telemarketing. I've dealt with my fair share of crazy people and have received death threats of my own several times in all three of those lines of work. People are nuts, but why would anyone do something like that? Take him to court and get your money back. Don't murder him. People just make me really, really mad. Well, yeah. There was also the opening paragraph of one of my sources that made me cringe, by the way. It was a website called ForensicFilesNow.com, and it said... Quote, many a duped consumer has thought for a moment or two about sending a bomb to the culprit on the other end of a transaction, end quote. Inaccurate. Um, no, we haven't because that's insane. I have thought about, you know, when I get something crappy, like writing a mean review about it. Exactly. Or maybe like contacting the Better Business Bureau. Use your words. <laughs> yeah. Use your words, kids. Mm. No truer words have ever been spoken. <laughs> So what do you think of all that, Nicole? Uh, I think, yeah, I agree with you. It's pretty crazy and uh, irresponsible. I mean, obviously, because he murdered a man. Yeah. Well, a kid, really. But also, if you got a scam, like, don't create an elaborate backstory for yourself. Yeah, right? I don't know. It's very I don't know why odd. he decided to be like, I'm, I think he wanted to make himself sound more legit. So he's like, I'm a 27-year-old married father of however yeah. many. Yeah. Who own a small business. And, and it's know. still pretty crummy to be like, here's my fancy thing. Oh, sorry. We sent you the wrong one. Yeah, right. But like my headphones that I ordered for this podcast and then got <laughs> a crappier version of them instead. Well. Yep. So my sources for this week were a Forensic Files episode called Over and Out, ForensicFilesNow.com, PostStar.com. And when I first read that, I thought it said PornStar.com. So I was like, what oh, is, what is, well, why well. is the information on this website? But it was poststar.com. All about brown chickens and brown bears. Brown bears. Brown chicken, brown bear. That was brown chicken, brown cow. I mean, if you want to be boring. Okay. Just brown switching chicken, up. Brown chicken, brown bear, cow. Ba oh, A you're bear right. cow. Man bear. bear pig. I just like a melody that really kind of like makes me, keeps me guessing. <laughs> well, <laughs> all right. Uh, I also used spokesman.com. SouthCoastToday.com, Wired.com, Google Groups, and New York Times. Side note: that Forensic File episode was called "Over and Out." Yeah. Wow. Because I guess like a like yeah. a CB radio. Yeah. 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 You know, someone was so excited when they were like, "We're gonna call it over now." They're like, "Yes, I thought of the perfect <laughs> name." 
for sure. Well, thanks for sharing that story, Eden. Absolutely. Uh, I guess we will take a short pit stop and then be back with my supernatural story that I'm very excited about. I can't wait to hear it. I know it's going to be different this week than we normally do. So stay tuned, everybody. Hey, Nicole. Hey, what's up? Do you know how much I love my Casper mattress? I don't know. How much do you love your Casper mattress? I don't know either because they won't send me one because they won't sponsor us. So if you're a sponsor out there listening to us, please let us do great ads like this for you. We'll be funny. We'll be sincere. We'll love your product. Give us money. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) And we are back. We are back. I'm ready to press record this time. (laughs) That is awesome. Go you. All right, cool. So uh, we are again in Vermont. I'm excited for this paranormal story because that's our first cryptozoology story. Awesome. We're talking about monsters, y'all. Love myself some monster stories. Awesome. I wonder what Vermont has for monsters. What kind of Vermonster we're going to talk about today? (laughs) Vermonster, title of the episode. Oh, Vermonster. It's actually a Ben and Jerry's uh, thing you can get like at their uh, scoop shops. Yeah. It's called the Vermonster, and I've always wanted to get one, but I think I need like at least four friends with me. Oh, is it like huge? Yeah, it's like a scoop of like every type or some kind of nonsense, or it's like a bu- it's like literally a huge pile. Oh, and wow. I'm like, oh, once I'm gonna get a bunch of friends, and we're gonna drink a bunch of whiskey, and then we're gonna go down to the Ben and Jerry's scoop shop, and we're gonna destroy a Vermonster. What is your favorite Ben and Jerry's flavor? That could be a tough question. However, it's really not for me. I have three. I really, really love Chunky Monkey because I'm like a sucker for any kind of banana flavored ice cream. That's right. You do love banana. Mm-hmm. It's like my go-to. It has everything. It has nuts, has chocolate, it has banana. Because we were talking about oatmeal, like the, the bagged oatmeal. Mm-hmm. Um, and you were like, oh, I like the bananas and cream one, yeah, which was the only one that I hadn't eaten out of the pack. I'm like, so. it's so good. Try it. It was good. I liked it. What are, what are your fe- three favorite Ben & Jerry's? Uh, well, I really love, um, I used to really love the half-baked that's the like fish one with the little fi- kernel No, that's fishes? fish food. Okay, sorry. This one has like brownie and other stuff that's like uh, really good. Okay. Um, there's one called like everything but the dot Kitchen dot sink. dot. And that one's really good and it's got a bunch of stuff in it. Um, I really like their uh, their peanut butter cup one cuz it's got huge freaking peanut butter cups in it. Oh, yeah. And their um it's called like chocolate mint cookie because it's like chocolate chip mint, but they take it like a step above and put like Oreo cookies in there. Oh, I've never, I've never encountered that Ooh, one. That it's sounds good. Really good. You need to try it because I love some chocolate chip mint ice cream. I'll keep my eye out for that. I also really my second flavor, the one that I always dilemma, like the Ben and Jerry's cores. You know? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I love the caramel sutra because it's just like this. Oh, that one caramels. is really good. Yeah, it's such a simple ice cream, but it's so good. But yeah, chunky monkey. We'll do in a pinch. I'll have to try that. I know my um my cousin who loved the band Fish too loved the fish food. It's ice cream. it's pretty good. I've had it quite a few times. I feel like it's very readily it's available. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's not bad. Anyway, back to Vermonsters. All right. My stop today will take us to Lake Champlain. Ooh. Lake Champlain is nestled in the valley between New York's Adirondack Mountains and Vermont's Green Mountains. Oh, nice. It's the 13th largest lake by area in the U.S., and it's about 490 square miles or 1,270 kilometers in area. That is a huge lake. It is a pretty huge lake. It actually stretches between Vermont and New York and all the way up to Quebec. Wow. Yeah, it's ginormous. It is about 400 feet deep at its deepest. Holy shit. Yeah, or for our metric users, 120 meters deep. 
Yeah, I don't know the metric system like at all. <laughs> I thought I would like get better at it when I was in Ireland and only vaguely. Yeah, still no, just like Celsius. I'm like, give me a calculator to like, you know, get it back to Fahrenheit and yep, then I'll yep. know. Like I vaguely understand distance a little bit better, but that's it. Yeah. The lake is also pretty long and wide. It's sort of uh, like a long, narrow lake. Uh, it's 107 miles or 172 kilometers long and 14 miles wide at its widest point. So kind of think of like a finger lake, I guess. It's okay. similar to that shape. Yeah. Now, there's several cities that sit on the coastline of Lake Champlain, including Burlington, Vermont, which is Vermont's largest city, and it's on the eastern shore. Okay. On the western shore is most notably Plattsburgh. You may have heard of I've that. I've never heard of it's it. In, it's in upstate New York. You see signs for it on uh, <laughs> the, the three-way as you're going up towards Buffalo. Oh, okay. Yeah. Anyway, I did read a lot about Burlington since it's right on Lake Champlain, and it sounds like a really cool city. Burlington is cool from what I heard. Yeah, we should go there. Yeah. Total I'd to definitely, pop. I want to go to like Vermont or New Hampshire, uh, because especially like in the fall to see all the beautiful trees. It's super true. So when we were driving through uh, Vermont on that ill-fated trip to Stowe, <laughs> um, it was, even though it was summertime, it was like crazy how much tree life and like oh, yeah. forests and stuff and i'm like i understand why like leafers come up and like look at all the changing fall yeah. colors anywho so lake champlain is named after a french explorer and cartographer named samuel d champlain he was the first european to encounter the lake all the way back in 1609 and it's one of those things where while other european explorers may have seen it he, he's really the one to be considered the discoverer okay because he put it on a map yeah uh champlain himself was actually pretty famous he's often called the father of new france and he helped found the quebec province in canada very nice mm -hmm. so there's a lot of things actually named after him but we're when talking was, about the lake when i was reading uh that list um that we had in the beginning of the episode mm -hmm. there was one thing that i didn't mention but i forget what it was but it also mentioned quebec so i think there's like quite a few connections between like vermont and quebec and i don't know what exactly they are i believe it i mean if i think about like canadian um maple syrup production exactly a lot of yep. it's based in quebec that's and what i'm thinking of as well i have a lot of uh in-laws that are french canadian and they're all from like that area of massachusetts oh, and okay. vermont and stuff yeah so now lake champlain has always been an important lake even to the original indigenous people of that area of Vermont and New York. It acted as a natural barrier and gateway to the lands of the Abenaki, which was a Algonquin-speaking group, and those of the Mohawk. Apologies if I butchered that pronunciation, but I think it's Abenaki. Yeah, I would have no idea. I don't know <laughs> Canadian tribes very well. Uh, now, the lake, as I mentioned before, does flow into Quebec, and because of that, it also became an important strategic location during the French and Indian War, the American Revolution, and also the War of 1812. Uh, by the early 19th century, several canals had also been built into the lake that would link the American Great Lakes through the Erie Canal, and also other canals that would link it to the St. Lawrence River in Canada. Oh, cool. Yeah, so uh, I, d I never knew that because I always know about, you know, the canal through the great lakes through erie canal and that sort of thing but yeah. it makes sense that lake champlain is essentially this american shipping waterway that leads into the greater part of new england 19th century lake champlain was a very important shipping waterway as america grew however the shipping traffic really started to slow down a little bit as railroads and just roads in general started to take over 
Now Lake Champlain is primarily a recreational area since there's over 50 beaches along its shores. Ooh, nice. Yeah. And it also is a butts or is adjacent to a lot of state parks. Very cool. Now, if you decide to go visit Lake Champlain and you get bored of the regular recreational activities like boating, water skiing, and fishing, you can always do a very unique pursuit that you can only do at Lake Champlain. Monster hunting. Is this like a Lake Champlain version of the Loch Ness Monster or? Kind of, yeah. Okay. I think it's a very good approximation. So for centuries, people have told stories about a creature or creatures living in and around the lake. Both the Abenaki and Mohawk tribes that lived around the lake told stories of a horned serpent that lurked in the water and would eat people. The Abenaki called it, and we're going to try our best with these words, a gitakog or a tatsokok. Hold on. Now I need to see this. <laughs> tatsokok. That just sounded dirty. It did. Gitasog, it was the one that I saw more frequently in a lot of Native American. Okay. I, it's This sounds kind of familiar to me now. Yeah. It's in that same category of like um, Native American bestiaries where it's like the horse yeah. serpent, the flying serpent. So like some kind of relation to even like Quetzalcoatl sort of. Gotcha. Like, okay. Yeah. There's a lot of those kind of myths. But that's what the Abenaki said lived in Lake Champlain. And they believe this so deeply from all of the things they experienced and saw around the lake that when er early European settlers started to use the the waterway to venture into Canada, they warned them not to disturb certain parts of the lake because they might accidentally encounter these monsters and they didn't want them to rile them up because that would cause trouble for them and their tribes. Oh, damn. Okay. (laughs) So let's jump forward a little bit in time. And the first modern documented sighting of a creature in Lake Champlain that we have is from July 24th. 1819 it's from an edition of the plattsburgh republican newspaper in it a captain named crumb reported that he saw a black monster that was at least 180 feet long with a head that resembled a giant seahorse he said that it reared about 15 feet out of the water despite being over 200 yards away he did claim that he saw at least three teeth eyes that were the color of a quote peeled onion a white star on its forehead, and a, quote, belt of red around its neck. So this wasn't a one-eyed, one-horned, flying purple people eater? Not this time. All right. So rumors about a creature prowling the waters of Lake Champlain continue over the years after this report. And it's sort of one of those local legend things, a bit like, I, p- I picture it almost being like how, how seafarers would talk about mermaids. Yeah. And they talk about, you know. Which you know what they say that they're actually seeing when they saw mermaids, right? They're saying they saw manatees. Oh, that kind of makes sense. But I'm just like, really? I mean, that's a fat mermaid then. I mean, maybe the maybe the manatee had a little bit of seaweed on its head. And it's like, hey. <laughs> and a freaking seashell bra. Does its wig flip <laughs> and the sea comes off? No. Well, that would be like one of those things. You're like, look, a pretty lady. It's been months since I've been at sea. And you get there and it's a manatee. I'm just like, oh, well, like, I, this is the best we can do, I guess. I mean. God, butterface. <laughs> 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 so. It wasn't until 1870, however, that we see more reports of an actual creature on Lake Champlain. No manatees. No manatees. This report comes from a group of passengers. So it was a multiple person sighting uh, on a steamboat that was traversing the lake. They said that they saw a large serpent in the distance also crossing the lake, following their same path through the lake. Okay. 
This led to a dramatic increase in sightings in the 1870s. In 1871, another group of steamboat passengers said they saw a head and a long neck pop out of the water near the Horsehead Bay area of Lake Champlain. That was me. I was Eden. Hmm. Is that where you've been spending your summers? <laughs> yes, I just wanted to go for a swim. God, and now this whole thing's about me. I didn't think I looked like a monster, but apparently I do. So I feel like my neck is so long and luxurious. <laughs> <laughs> it's very long and luxurious. <laughs> like a giraffe. Like a giraffe. Two years after that, you were yet again appeared in the lake at Lake <laughs> <laughs> Two years later, in 1873, the creature was spotted several times. First, it was spotted by steamboat passengers near Dresden, New York. Then, the New York Times reported that a railroad crew saw an enormous serpent head covered in bright, silvery scales rise from the surface of the lake as they were installing more tracks along the shore. They said it glistened brightly in the sun. I always glisten brightly in the sun because I'm so pale. (laughs) pale people that glisten in the sun i'm like is that where the sparkly vampire thing came from oh god because <laughs> you're so pale you're starting to sweat but it does not sweat it's, it's, it's glitter. just it's glitter yeah <laughs> <laughs> anyway the third sighting uh, was later that summer a local sheriff reported seeing an enormous snake or water serpent that he thought was about 25 or 30 feet long in the lake and then finally in august yet another group of people who were riding the steamboat W.B. Eddy thought they saw the monster and then felt that they were perhaps attacked by the creature. Their boat was knocked into and it almost overturned. Oh, shit. Yeah. And that's like the one of the startling reports that I found of like not people being like, there was something in the distance and it looked like a serpent. This was like something hit our boat. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> and it was this last incident because it was reported pretty heavily in the New York Times that caught the attention of showman P.T. Barnum. Oh, okay. That old bitch. Circus time. Uh, He was so tickled by this idea of a sea creature that he immediately, in true P.T. Barnum fashion, offered a $50,000 reward to anyone who could capture the creature that lived in Lake Champlain and bring it to him. Of course he did. Just to give you an idea, that's an equivalent because I did look this up. I was curious. Oh, nice. Over a million dollars. Oh, shit. I know. I'd be like, "Mm, what you doing this summer? We're going to Lake Champlain. Yeah, I know. Right. I'm on that. Get your nets. Get some sea horse food. Just take a picture of myself like after I just wake up or like, you know, freshly from the shower. So I'm glistening with water. <laughs> Send it to him. Your long giraffe neck. <laughs> if you want this, you're going to have to hand over that money. Right. So, again, those are the last couple instances of reporting of a creature in uh, Lake Champlain that I found until a report that the creature was seen by multiple residents who were enjoying a lovely picnic in 1887 and again pt barnum was all over that shit and he's just like yo 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 that offer is still good just bring me the creature no questions asked i'll give you that 50k he really wants this damn thing doesn't he does he he does so sightings continue again kind of word of mouth around lake champlain they continue into the 21st century including some additional notable multiple people sightings by passengers on ships like the SS Ticonderoga. They saw the creature in 1945 and were very, very concerned about it coming too close to the ship and rocking it. Uh, and the 20th century is also when the creature becomes known by its lovable nickname, Champ. Champ? Champ, like Lake Champa- Champlain. Oh, I Champ. get it. Champ of Lake Champlain, yeah. In 1977, a young woman named Sandra Manzi was showing her fiancé the countryside near Lake Champlain where she grew up. 
While gazing out at the lake, they noticed something moving in the distance. She recalled that day later in an interview, and she said at first she thought it was a school of fish until a head and then a long serpentine neck emerged from the water, growing bigger and bigger. Oh, damn. So Sandra estimates that the creature's neck rose about six feet out of the water and that the whole creature was about 12 feet long. It floated along motionless for between four to seven minutes before sinking slowly straight back down under the water. She reported that the creature's surface looked like it was scaly or tree barky, like not smooth, very like rough. Well, it's been a while since I've used lotion. Girl, you gotta exfoliate. You gotta exfoliate. <laughs> uh, the reason I'm telling you about Sandra Manzi's experience is that she actually managed to catch a photo of this thing oh, she saw. Oh, okay. I'd like to see that photo. You can find it. You can just search uh, Google. Tag myself in it. Just search Lake Champlain Monster Manzi. It's M-A-N-S-I. And it'll bring it up. It's a pretty famous photo. All right. Now, uh, in, in that same interview that I read, she said, quote, I was scared to death. I had the feeling I shouldn't be there. But she was able to collect herself after a few moments and snap only one picture with her Kodak Instamatic. And I don't know if you remember the Instamatics. Those are the ones that had those, like, almost like E-shaped. Oh, the little weird. Yeah, cartridges. Like yeah. a C and you, like, pop it in. So that's what it was. It's not the highest resolution. It's not the best quality film. But it is a full-color photo of what she saw that day. Are you Googling the picture? Yes. Okay, well, that's a drawing. Here's the picture. That looks like a dinosaur. Right? It looks like some kind of sea creature, sea serpent, sea dinosaur thingy. Okay, that one looks like a tire. <laughs> uh, that's not her photo. That's just another random photo. No, but like this is this is the one that I'm seeing. Yeah, that's the photo where it's almost like tur- its head's like turned a little bit looking off to the distance around it its back. It looks like a... Uh, what were those called? Like Littlefoot from um, from the Land Before, Before Time. Time. Yeah. So this photo that Sandra snapped has been analyzed for for the past couple decades, um, and it's really sparked this wave of champ sightings to escalate through the 80s and 90s. Um, over that time period, upwards of 600 people have been documented that they saw objects in Lake Champlain that they thought could be the creature. Some people believe that the photo is proof positive that Champ exists. Uh, some people believe that Champ could be a Zulodon or a What's a Zulodon? Uh, it's like an extinct prehistoric whale, like a dinosaur whale. That didn't look like a whale. It didn't. It didn't. Um, or they also think it could be a plesiosaur. A plesiosaur is that That's marine. the one. Yeah, that's the one. A plesiosaur is that one. They look really cute, actually. The drawings I've seen where it's like a marine animal and has a small head and long neck and almost like a turtle-like body yeah. with these little flippers and a tail. That's what I think that photo looks more like. But that's what a lot of folks who think there is a creature in Lake Champlain think is the creature or some relative thereof. Oh, actually is very, very similar to Nessie. Yes. So, you know, you'd never know. I mean, just because that picture of Nessie turned out to be fake doesn't mean that there isn't actually something in Loch Ness. It's true. It's true. I like how you say Loch Ness. <laughs> well, that is how you pronounce the C-H. I know. I appreciate it. It's a So other folks, much like with the Loch Ness photo, think that Sandra's snapshot from that day actually debunked Champ's existence. 
Uh, one fellow in particular, Joe Nickel, has conducted a very in-depth investigation, or several actually, at Lake Champlain. Uh, he did one in the early '90s, and he or one in the '90s, and then he did one in early two, in early 2000s, and published a really, really lovely paper that I I checked out about his just week or two at Lake Champlain. And he concludes, based on his surveillance of the area where Mansi said she snapped the photo, that the water's way too shallow for there to be a creature of that size that she reported there. It's only about 14 feet deep, so he's, he's like, there's no way like a creature that is as big as she said it was could be in that water. Yeah, she said it was like 12 feet. Yeah, and that the head total? came out like six feet out. Oh, yeah. yeah. She said it was very, very large. So he suggests that maybe the object that she photographed wasn't an animal at all. It could have actually been a tree log. That's what a lot of people tend to think when they see something in the water. I've noticed like that's mm-hmm. a lot of the, you know, debunking thing. It's always it's a tree log. It's some kind of like, you know, drift driftwood. Wood. Yes. Yeah. Because it's like it could be like that's not a head. That's like a branch reaching that's, up. Yep. So that's what his conclusion was. Others have speculated that witnesses could have mistaked a lake otter or a mink for champ as well since they also have the very long serpentine swimming body that's true yeah but they don't get as large as people have said that this monster is that's also true Uh, likewise skeptics kind of shoot back well there's no forensic hard forensic evidence we've never found creature bones carcasses there's no breeding ground so either it's the same creature that's been living for at least two two three hundred four hundred years or it doesn't exist okay so uh, we'll see. I don't know. Now, the great part about this and why I kind of love this story is that despite all the arguments for and against a creature living in Lake Champlain, the impact on the local culture is undisputable. Champ's become this source of pride. He's basically like a local mascot now, which is kind of cool. Yeah. There's Champ Day Parades. It's the first. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, you can go. It's the first Saturday of every August. There's a huge billboard in one of the towns that lists all the champ sightings. And they're continually adding to it. Oh, nice. <laughs> a ton of local businesses use champ as a logo. And there's even a minor league baseball team called the Vermont Lake Monsters. That's amazing. And my favorite, favorite champ related thing that I found was something called the Champ Burger, which is basically a seafood patty on like a bun, like <laughs> a sesame seed bun. So it's like instead of like a Whopper, you can get a Champ Burger. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> so Ian, what do you think? About Champ, Lake Champlain's possibly prehistoric creature. I really think that I heard about this recently somewhere on like another podcast. <gasps> yeah. Well. Um, what's leading me to believe that is because it was a story about a cryptid. It was in a lake. I don't remember where or what state, but like the town like really embraced this like cryptid creature. Arguably, there's also uh, there's a couple of cryptids. Uh, the other one that I found in the U.S. was out in Oregon. And that's arguably a more famous one. It might have been that Oogie one. Oogie or something. Oogie. I think, yeah, some yeah. weird name. Um, but, yeah, like this town like embraced him. Like they have like a whole bunch of stuff. They have like a whole um, like store like devoted to him where you can buy T-shirts and do all this stuff. And that's yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. I kind of love it. This is a really cool story, though. I'd like to hear a little bit more like this. Maybe I'll do one sometime on Encrypted. Um, see what I can find. But I don't know. I mean, I think that a lot of times when people see these things they are seeing something like they're not just completely making shit up Mm -hmm. whether it's an actual creature like this or not who's to say but i mean it's not that far of like a a leap of faith to take to think that there are 
species out there that we have not identified yet. There's a ton that we haven't, and we know that. It's um, true. So it's possible that it could be that. It could also very well be some sort of weird dinosaur that actually managed to survive. Surprise. Yeah. You never know. <laughs> I think I think for me, it's like either, especially something of this of this nature where it's like a cryptid in a lake where it's like trapped essentially in yeah. this like what 490 square mile area unless it goes into the, like it's small enough to go into like the local rivers and canals yeah uh part of me is like god i hope it eats vegetation yeah i, I would hope so too because how terrifying would it be if there's like a story about like a lake monster and like people do actually like disappear in the region around the lake it would be like just when you thought it was safe to go back in the water <laughs> yes i know that's jaws <sighs> But yeah, I, I was super excited to find this. I've been wanting to do uh, like a monster episode quite a long time. Every state I go to, I'm like, what's a fun monster you have? It's very, I find it very rude right now that you're calling me a monster. And um, I mean, what's the politically correct term? Um, a long neckly challenged. I don't know. Uh, homo sapienly challenged. <laughs> yeah, that, that works. <laughs> I'm a monster. So for my sources today, I found some good ones. Um, I use the New England Travel Today website to learn all about Lake Champlain. Uh, the New York Times, of course. Getting your money's worth. Mm-hmm. Not as many stories about Lake Champlain as you would think. Yeah, I mean, I figured. The New England Historical Society website, because they have so much good stuff. Seriously, fantastic. I probably should have checked them out for my um, my story on House of the Seven Gables. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty well documented, so I think you're, you're yeah. fine. Live science, which I love. I can find a LiveScience.com article about Champ. <laughs> I, I, I know I've been to their website before, and I think I did like it. Uh, the Skeptical Inquirer, which is where I found that really good Joe Nickel paper about uh, his investigation. And then, of course, the Wayback Machine archive, because um, the Wayback Machine is fantastic. Oh, yeah. I've used them before. Yeah. And I use the LakeChamplainRegion.com uh, archive for that to learn more about just the area and its past and its folklore. That's so cool. That was an interesting story. Thanks. I try to find something a little different that was uniquely Vermont as well. This is very uniquely Vermont. I mean, if there was, you know, the Ben and Jerry's monster, then, you know, that would be even more Vermont. <laughs> the maple syrup monster, perhaps. Perhaps. Who lives perhaps. part-time in Canada. <laughs> <laughs> well, he has to spend weekends at his dad's house. It's exactly. not his fault. Exactly. You know, he, he hangs out with Celine Dion. All right. Well, I think that's it for this week. If you guys like what you heard or if you have any story suggestions. Or any, stories of yours that you want to share with us as well. Yeah. We're always looking for those. Any feedback you have for us, please let us know. You can contact us at roadsidehorrorshow at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Roadside Horror Show and on Twitter at Roadside Horror. You can check out our website at Roadside Horror Show at... No. Nope. Darn it. <laughs> RoadsideHorrorShow.podbean.com. Thanks, Eden. You're welcome. You always got my back. And we'd also like to thank Yox Rocks Designs for our wonderful logo, E. Massey for our fantastic theme music. I guess until next week, Roadsters. Creep, creep on, on, creeping on. on.